0: Good morning again, we're going to be starting our new series today. If you've got your Bible with you, we're going to be in the book of Philippians. Uh, this is the, the series that we were supposed to do before, but we kind of put it on hold and you can kind of see God's hand in it all really that we're doing now doing this series following our move series rather than before. We did a series move kind of about aligning ourselves uh, with God and you can see God's hand in all of this that so we're now doing Philippians now because uh, the, the, the book of Philippians really paints a picture of what an aligned life Actually looks like what a mature Christian life actually looks like. This is a letter written by Paul to the church in Philippi. We've got a little map coming up here in a second. There we go. You can kind of see Philippi at the top there. And the kind of reason why this is important is that Paul plants this church on his second missionary journey. You can read about it in Acts. Uh, chapter 16 and we kind of see the progression sort of honestly on that map hidden behind the drum screen kind of bottom right hand corner is Jerusalem Acts 1 verse 8 Jesus says you'll be my witnesses Jerusalem Judea Samaria the ends of the earth and we can see the progression if you look through the drum screen you can see Caesarea which is the bit that we looked at I promise you it's there that we looked at uh, last week Acts chapter 10 and then a little bit further up if you kind of just hop above the drum drum screen we see Antioch which was kind of again we, we covered that last Last week, the church spread Jerusalem, and, and it started spreading around now, now to the, the Gentiles. And then in Acts chapter 16, Paul gets what's called the Macedonian call, like the call from the Holy Spirit, go to Macedonia, plant churches, and he ends up in Philippi, which is kind of Macedonia up there. And Philippi was a Gentile Roman colony. The reason why this is important is because they had no significant Jewish population. The gospel's now really going to the Gentiles. And Philippi was uh, kind of, historians would call it Roman miniature. It was a, a Roman colony. And there you can read it all about it in Acts 16. The first converts are Lydia, who's a businesswoman. And the second convert is a slave girl who had, was full of demonic spirits. She kind of was a fortune teller. Her owners used her to, to tell people's fortune. And so Paul comes along and he says he was really annoyed by the spirit, the demonic spirit. So he cast him out. So then she gets saved The owners get really angry because they've now lost their way of making money out of fortune telling. And so they get Paul and his friend Silas chucked in prison. You think, oh, kind of that's the end of that. But no, they pray and they worship. And in prison, there's a big earthquake and the the doors fly open and out they walk. And the jailer who was supposed to kind of uh, look after the prisoners, he's now terrified that he's going to get killed. So he wants to commit suicide. And Paul said, whoa, 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 whoa. Let me explain this Jesus to you, preaches the gospel, he gets saved. So we have a business person, we have a slave girl, we have a jailer. Right at the heart, you see, right at the heart of Philippi, this church, the power of the gospel on display. The God is mighty to save, he's mighty to deliver, he's mighty to break in and and powerful answers of prayer. Signs and wonders were afoot in this church. And this, uh, Paul plants this church, and then a few years later, he writes this letter. And he's in prison again. Paul didn't have it all his own way. We don't know where he is in prison, but he's in prison as he writes this. And the church have sent him some money, and he writes to them to kind of say, thank you very much. It's kind of uh, a thank you letter, really. And it's probably, the book of Philippians, if you know anything about it, you would think of it as the most joyful book, certainly in the New Testament, in the whole of the Bible. And it's joyful mainly because it's not written to correct bad behavior or bad doctrine like some of these other letters or to expose or challenge false teaching like Galatians or 2 Thessalonians nor is it set out to kind of answer and solve some real difficult relational or pastoral issues or to train leaders no 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 this is a letter of friendship Paul loves this church it's not a perfect church But it's a church that's united by the gospel. It's this diverse bunch of people who do life deeply together, who are striving for holiness, who are choosing joy and thanksgiving and rejoicing, who are choosing to love one another and who are incredibly generous. It's really a church which displays and shows, this letter shows, what a mature Christian life really is like. And as we read through this letter, you can kind of see over these next few weeks, there are some key words that sort of show some of the key emphasis throughout this book. We, the most obvious ones are about related to joy. We'll hear lots of that over these next few weeks. But then this next big one we're focusing on today is kind of this idea of partnership or fellowship or participation. There's other stuff about citizenship in Christ. There's that whole phrase, in Christ comes again, gospel, grace, it all comes. See if you spot any of those as we read these first 11 verses of Philippians. Paul and Timothy, servants or slaves of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Philippians is full of joy and full of rejoicing. These are his friends. He loves them. He greets them. He he expresses gratitude and deep affection towards them. And then he prays, verse 9, that their love would abound. And verse 10, that their holiness would increase. That's his desire, that their love would abound, that their holiness would increase. His prayer for them, his desire for them is that they would grow in maturity. Verse 11, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory of God. His prayer is that they would be aligned with the will of God They would align their lives with it and then they would grow in and mature in and deepen further into and continue to grow into more and more and more of the things of God. As we're going to see throughout this next few weeks, the book of Philippians really is a picture of what mature Christian life looks like. And we even see it in these first few verses here, grounded in the gospel, full of thanksgiving and joy, full of prayer with deep friendship, deep genuine affection for one another and increasing holiness. That's a picture of the Christian life right there. And here's the truth. All of that is really quite easy when life is good. When our outward circumstances are going really well, it's, it's actually quite easy to be a Christian. It's actually quite easy to be full of joy and rejoicing and thanksgiving and, and even, pray, and, oh yeah, things are good. The reality is it's harder when things are not. And central to our understanding with this letter is to understand this, that the joy that Paul expresses and encourages here has nothing to do with external things. See, we can often think that it's, well, it's all right for him and it's all right for them. What a great church. They had all these amazing things happen and, and all this, and every time they pray, signs and wonders. And wow, they were just, it was great. So of course they can do all of those things. The reality of this letter is that by outward appearances, as Paul writes these, there is little, these words, there is little reason for the Philippian believers to rejoice. Like little reason externally. They have, Paul's in jail. He's like their beloved leader. He's in jail. They're actually, we'll see over the next few weeks, they're facing tremendous opposition from their enemies. Their church is experiencing, yes, there is unity, but there's actually some rivalry and there's some disunity creeping in. One of their key leaders, he's nearly died twice, Some people are kind of subtly teaching confidence in the flesh rather than the cross of Christ. There ain't a whole lot of reasons to rejoice. And yet again and again and again and again and again in Scripture, we get the message over and over and over. Joy is not based on external circumstances, but in the power and the reality of the gospel. Our joy is not determined and defined by the stuff that does or does not happen to us, but by the reality of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the implications of all of that. Of the reality that God is in control. That the moment that we became a Christian, it's not just about getting our sins forgiven, although that happens, it's about a total and complete surrender to him. So now I'm not in charge of my life. He is now and he's in control and he's good all the time. Even when it doesn't appear like good things are happening to me, he is still good and he is still in control and he's working together everything for the good of those who love him. And that as I align myself, because I have a role in this, as I align myself to his will and his word, as I read his word, as I read his commands, as I obey them, as I put those things into practice in my life, as I do those things, his promises never fail. And that verse six, what he started, he will bring to completion. See, my job as a Christian is to be one who pursues him, who loves him and cherishes him and obeys him and and pursues him, who sticks close to him, trusting him and trusting what he says and actually doing it. See, one of my concerns is that so often when we say we're trusting God, what we're actually saying is that we're confident that God will work out our futures in the way that we think he will or should and that's a big difference to actually trusting god because when our life doesn't work out as we hope it would when trouble hits or trial comes or difficult moments hit we spin out and it causes us all sorts of problems and paul says listen my prayer for you it's got nothing to do with circumstances my prayer for you is that you would grow in love and holiness and be full of thanksgiving and joy and rejoicing with affection and deep friendship. That's what maturing faith looks like, growing, out, growing up in each of these areas. You start out immature and you grow up to be more mature. What happens in the natural is supposed to be mirrored in the spiritual. You think about kids for a moment. I've got three of them, right? They all started life as babies. Now they're not babies anymore, and it would be a bit weird if they're still babies. And it would be a bit weird if they still acted like babies. And my oldest one's eight. By the time he's 15, if he's still acting like a baby, it will be a bit weird. It will be even more weird by the time he's 25 or 35 or 45 if he's still acting like a baby. He's supposed to grow up. They're supposed to grow. They're supposed to mature. Something's gone wrong if they don't. And it's exactly the same as growing as a Christian. So the mark of growing, of a Christian, maturing, growing Christian is growing in these areas of moving forward. It's not, here's the thing, it's not automatic, you've got to cultivate it. Some of us just think, well, it's just automatically, the longer I'm a Christian, the more mature I'll get. No, no, no. no. You can actually have been a Christian for a very short space of time and become actually really quite mature in the things of God. And conversely, you can be a Christian for an awful long time and still be very, very immature in the things of God. You see, we've just finished this move series where we're responding to God and making some moves and aligning ourselves with the will of God. And we've made some moves, but it's really important now that we keep moving. You see, the Christian life is a journey. You gotta keep moving forward. And the Bible continually talks of, and he often uses imagery of the, of the Christian life, of following God as like a journey, of like walking in footsteps. So it often talks of walking in the footsteps of the righteous or of walking in the footsteps of the wicked or of following a certain path. There's a righteous path and there's a wicked path. And as we talked about last week, the first Christians were called followers of the way. They were those who followed Jesus. The images of people who are literally walking down a path following Jesus. He's going that way, so I'm going that way. Now he's going that way, so I'm going that way. That's the imagery here. I had a friend of mine uh, speaking on discipleship recently and he said something so helpful, that I'm just gonna steal it. Um, He talks about the difference between paths and pavements. And our kind of urbanish environment where we live here doesn't hugely help us understand the imagery that the Bible uses because we don't walk on paths the same way that the Bible speaks of. We walk on pavements. And pavements, just in case you're kind of completely baffled by what I'm talking about, pavements are things that are made of concrete that you walk on. And they're built once. We want to here and we want to get over there, so let's build a pavement and you build it once and then that's done. It's it. Is it finished? It's completed. Now, there might be some cracks at some point down the line. We'll just fill the crack in. That's fine. But fundamentally, the, the pavement is done. You do it once, and it's laid, and that's it. The challenge of that is if you think of your Christian life like that, there's going to be a lot of disappointments, and there's going to be a lot of be hardships in your life. So the Christian life's not a pavement that's built once, and then it's done. The Christian life is a path. It's a way. It's a series of steps. It's a walk. And in an ancient rural setting... The way you make a path the way is you go for a walk. There wasn't one there before, and you go through it. Whatever's in your way, you walk through it, and it's hard to begin with. But the next time you go that way, you walk again, and it gets a little bit easier. And the next time you walk that way, it gets a little bit easier again and again and again. And because you're walking on it continually, and because other people are walking on the same thing at the same time, it becomes flattened out, and it becomes a heck of a lot easier to walk. That's a picture of the Christian life. You walk that way for the first time and it might be a little bit alien, a bit strange, a bit difficult, but you walk it again and it becomes easier and you walk it again and it becomes easier year in, year out, day in, day out. You walk the same path again and again and again and again. That's what the Christian life is. We don't just build it once and then that's it. A big pave- big pavement, boom, done, mature now. No, path. We walk again and again and again and again and again. And again, and we establish habits and patterns throughout our lives that help us. And the more we do it, the easier it gets. It's not to say we just become blasé about it. We still have to focus and concentrate. But the more you pray, the easier it gets. The more you learn generosity, the easier it gets. The more you cultivate thanksgiving, the easier it gets. The more you walk away from sin, the easier it gets. The more you walk on the path of righteousness, step by step, little by little, day by day, week in, week out, month in, month out, year in, year out, the easier, the more natural it gets. And it's exactly the same if you walk down the path of wickedness too. You walk that way. Oh. And you do it again. Oh. And you do it again. Oh. And before you know it, it's really easy to just keep going that way. That's the Christian life. Forming long term habits rather than quick fix solutions. And that's so crucial to our Christian life. So crucial to maturing in and growing in Christ. And here's the problem we live in an instant culture, right? Like I get seriously annoyed if the traffic lights on red for longer than about 25 seconds. What's the need? Go green. I want to move now. Like, get, I get annoyed. Like, the microwave isn't even quick enough now. You can buy an instant pot that does a whole chicken in 20 minutes for you at high pressure. That sounds amazing. I don't want to wait two hours for my roast chicken. I want it now. It's just the reality. And because we live in an instant culture all the time, we end up looking for a quick fix solutions so that's going to make me more like Jesus now. Now. Give me some tips. Come on, three, three things, three examples, three practical things that I can do between now and the end of your talk that means when I walk out of there, I'm going to be like Jesus. It ain't going to work because that's not the picture in the Bible. The picture in the Bible is, one, is a gardening or farming culture. It takes time. It's slow. It's step by step, day in, day out, week in, week out, month in, month out, year in, year out, decade in, decade out, slow steps to maturity. And if Philippians gives us a picture of the mature believer, well, these few steps, these few verses give us a few steps of to cultivate again and again and again. How do we continue to grow? How do, we, how do we cultivate those things to mature in Jesus? Well, the first thing to understand is that any command in Scripture at all is never gonna be a call to be better. Sort yourself out. Hey, slacker, come on, do this. Be better, come on, work harder. Like some kind of, like Mr. Motivator or whatever the, the modern version is of that. Just stand there going, be better. Work out harder. I'm going to stand and shout at you like, I mean, I don't understand physical trainers. Like they're mean. They just shout stuff at you, right? That's not what commands in the Bible are. Before we do anything, we've got to ensure that our foundation is grounded in the gospel, Or else we quickly default to a way of thinking that says, I'm not doing very well. And now you're saying this, I've got to do this. Oh man, I'm struggling just to keep my head above water as it is. And now I've got to do all this. No, 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 listen. Look at how Paul starts. Even in his greeting, the gospel of grace just hits us. We so often quickly skip over introductions because we think of them like we send emails. Dear so-and-so, hope you're well. No, you don't. You're just saying that so it doesn't come across as you being too aggressive in your email. No one reads that bit. Like you just want to get into, tell me what we're talking about. And because we're like that, we just skip it over as well, and we miss it. And if we do, we miss a whole load of amazing things. Paul, verse 1, a servant, a slave of Christ Jesus. Paul, an arrogant, self-righteous, persecutor of the church, now speaking of himself as a slave, as a servant of Christ Jesus. Whoa! Like, we're so familiar with the story we just kind of like, oh yeah, Paul, he was sore. He did yeah, a bit of persecution. And now look at him. What a guy. He read the new t-. No, no, no. Whoa. Look at the mess of this man's life to now what the Lord has done in his life. No one's too far from the Lord. And no one has done too much or mucked up too much or messed up too much in any way, shape, or form that they can't be greatly used for the glory of God. Carry on, verse one. Paul to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. Not, not to the people who turn Sunday on. Church on Sundays, or to the people who kind of call church their home, or even to the members of the church there. No, no, no. To the saints, it literally means holy ones. To the holy ones at Philippi. Paul's reminding us here right at the beginning that in the gospel, our whole identity has fundamentally changed. We're not a people trying to be holy. We are a holy people. This is now our new reality. We have been transformed and completely changed. If you're a Christian here today, your position is now in Christ and therefore you are considered in the eyes of God because of the work of Jesus Christ, not your own works so no one can boast. You are now a holy one. Ephesians 1 verse 3, Paul says this, he says, God has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. This is the gospel. The moment we put our trust in Jesus, we have been cleansed by the word of Christ once and for all. We are now positionally holy because we have received, verse 2, back into Philippians 1, verse 2, we have received grace and peace from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. They're not just greetings, grace and peace to you, blessings. No, 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 no. This is two, these are two of God's, Greatest gift through the gospel, grace—God's unmerited favor, His undeserved favor, lavished out upon us—it's now ours in Christ Jesus. And peace—we're now restored. We're no longer hostile in a hostile relationship with God. He's declared peace. He's no longer our enemy, but our Father, our friend. We are no longer under any yoke of hostility, but we now have complete and free access. We have grace, and we have peace. Wow, and it only comes through Jesus Christ's self-sacrificing work on the cross and his subsequent resurrection, nothing else. And we've received them both. Wow, and now we're called to walk in that and grow in that. Paul says, this is who you are. This is who Jesus has made you to be. Now grow up in it. Don't stay as a baby. See, to be a saint, this is so important we get this, to be a saint is to be both positionally holy, is now who you are, and to live as holy is how you act. And if we focus in on how we act without understanding who we are, we're going to get it wrong. And we're going to end up driving ourselves into legalism. We'll do this and do that blah, 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 and it's all about outward. No, 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 no. We get who we are as positionally holy and out of that we now behave as holy. And if we just stay here in that I'm positionally holy, I'm fine, we've missed it by a mile. Because of now who we are, Paul says, now grow up and be like that. Be who you are. So how do we do it? How do we grow further in Christ? Well, we've got to understand this foundation of being grounded in the gospel, of having your identity in Christ. We don't grow out of it. We don't grow beyond it. We grow deeper into it. So grow as a a disciple. You've got to cultivate your identity. You've got to remind yourself of your identity. You've got to speak the truth of your identity. And now you grow up further and deeper into it. So how does that work in practice? Well, these verses give us a few clues. The first is this, growing in this. Involves other people. We're partners. You can't do this on your own. You cannot do this on your own. There's something about community and specifically church community that is a key in continuing to grow as a disciple. Paul writes to a specific people in a specific location, those who are part of the church there not to all the Christians in the area who who are like, yes, all of you, no, 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 to the church. And this in our individualistic age is so very, 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 very important to understand. We need to be part of a church. Like if you're here, be part of this church. If you're not, be part of another church. We're not building empires, we're talking about kingdom, but fundamentally you're designed to be part of a church. In the New Testament, there's simply no comprehension of a Christian who is not attached to a local church body. But Paul has something deeper in mind. Not just being attached to a local church body, but by being deeply connected. And Paul loves the church at Philippi because look, verse five, he loves them because of their partnership in the gospel. He says in verse seven, I hold you in my heart for your partakers with me of grace. The picture we get is not just mere church attendance or belonging by saying, well, I signed the form. You haven't got a form, but you know what I mean? Like I've kind of, I'm in, I've got church suite. I kind of come along like, no, no, no. There's something far deeper. There's both a partnership and a partaker, There's this partnership for the sake of the gospel. You see, what it really is, what this word partnership, this word fellowship really is is something much deeper going on. It's around a shared common objective that we unite behind. Not just because of the habit of turning up. There's this united objective, shared objective that we have that we're all in this together and so we pull together, have a deep partnership in it and we live together accordingly. What's the common objective? It's that we might grow and see and grow in the gospel, that the gospel might Go very wide, so lots of other people might join in and, under, and now have this, this partnership, this grace, this peace. But we also would grow in depth, deeper into the gospel. This fellowship is, is something that is not just about attending, but unites us together. My favorite book, Lord of the Rings Fellowship of the Ring, is the first part of it. The whole, whole kind of thing. It's like you, this uniting. I haven't used the Lord of the Rings illustration for a long time. So here we go. Right? There's this, uni- if you haven't seen it, shame on you. But yeah, this, Legolas, yeah. This, this, this fellowship of the ring unites very, very different. I mean, they're not people. They're like like hobbits and, and dwarves and they're all real in Middle Earth. And it unites this whole kind of group. There's kings and princes and all sorts of stuff united around a common objective to overcome evil in Middle Earth. And what happens as a result of this fellowship, there's a depth of relationship that means I will walk through anything with you. I will even lay down my life for you. I'll defend you. I'll walk with you. I'll encourage you. I'll push you. There's something so deeply connected there. And that's the picture that Paul has here of what it is to be in a church. And the second part of that is we're partakers of grace. We're partners on this common objective to see the gospel go wide, but also very deep. But we're partakers of grace. We have a shared experience. We have a a commonality now that goes beyond our preferences or our background or our history or, or who we like hanging out with or who we don't. We are fellow partakers of grace of God. The Lord has opened our eyes and has caused the scales to fall. And now we see him and whoa, and that goes deeper than anything else. And here's the thing it's really actually quite easy to be part of church when life's good. Like when everything's going well, yeah, great. But when things aren't, that's when we really need to press in. See, the human tendency is to back off when things go wrong. I'm not doing so well, so I'll just, it's better, it's better for everybody else if, actually, it's better for, every, it's better for everybody else. I'm just, it's, it's probably better. I, 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 and before you know it, you've fallen off the edge over there somewhere. And it's so really important to understand, no, 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 we are are partakers of grace, not of performance. It's not your performance that got you in here, so it's not your performance that keeps you here. You're a partaker of grace, the revelation of Jesus Christ, and you're a partner in the gospel. I need you, you need me. None of us can do this on our own, and the person who thinks they can do it on their own has completely misunderstood what they're trying to achieve. Because not any one of us is gonna take the gospel to everybody. Everybody. Me and my mission, me and my ministry, I've got it sorted. I'll take on, yeah, 880,000 people. <laughs> it took me about six weeks. No, I, we need one another as the gospel goes wide, but we need one another as the gospel goes deep too. I can't do this thing on my own. So how are we partnering with each other? I can't image God like you can. You can't like I can. I can't see my blind spots, so I need someone like you to help me see them. And you need someone like me to help you see them. We need to be in that depth of, that closeness of, that community that is not based on when I'm doing good, I'll be there. And when I'm not, it's probably better if I stay out of the way. Now, that's exactly the moment where you press back in. And for some of us, that means we need to overcome some vulnerabilities because we've been hurt in the past. Because we shared and someone said, I'm not it. No, that's it. I'm not ever going to be part of it ever again. Some of us need to overcome some past hurts, some disappointments. Some of us... It don't really make us happy to be here. Whatever it takes to get over that, we've got to do it. Because the, the answer to a lack of contentment and a lack of unhappiness and a lack of happiness and all the rest of it is not just to keep isolating yourself further and further and further. It's to press right back in because we are partners and partakers of grace. And partners thank God for one another. Verse three, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Paul rarely thanks God for things, but he always thanks God for people i i 've got a tendency to go the other way because things don 't annoy me so much, but Paul rarely thanks God for things he always thanks God for people and thanking God for other people changes our attitude and everything towards it. Lord, I thank you that you 've placed me in this church in this community with these people, thankful that they help me. Sp- po- See those issues in my heart. Thankful that they helped me grow in this way. And something changing us, changes in us when we're thankful. It changes people around us as well. Partners, thank God for one another. Third thing, partners, pray together. Let's pray together. I'm not sure what to pray. How about verse nine? That your love may abound more and more and more and with all knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. What a prayer to pray over your brother and sister, your partaker in grace, your partner. Why do we pray together? Well, we pray so God hears, yes, of course. But we also pray because it knits our hearts together. There's something that happens in the spirit when we pray with brothers and sisters in Christ. Yes, the Lord hears and the Lord responds, but we don't primarily pray so that we get. We primarily pray so that we get into deeper relationship with our Father, but also with one another. There's a knitting in the heart. I'm so thankful for everyone who came. We could pray. It was wonderful seeing huge crowds of people because it connects us together on this partnership for the gospel going wide and deep into our hearts. And as we take these steps together we grow and the most encouraging verse we'll just finish with this real quick is verse six and I'm sure of this that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion this is what gives us hope this is what we cling to this is especially what we cling to when things are not going so well right now listen if you're in a storm in your life listen to this he has not forgotten you he has not forsaken you he started the work in you and he will bring it to completion and so cling to him and you need to cling to him in the context of other people who can encourage you, saying, you're letting go, you're letting go. Let me hold you in and hold to the promises of God. You see, Paul writes these words from prison. Ancient, I'm sure prison in the, in the 21st century is horrendous, but prison in the, in the ancient world was truly horrendous. And from a position of no hope, bleak, dark, lost Paul says, God's not forgotten. He started this. No earthly circumstances will thwart it. He will bring it to completion. I will stand firm on the promises of God and you brothers and sisters in Philippi, you can too. And you brothers and sisters in Southeast London, you can too. You see, the foundation of spiritual growth is recognizing that god it was God who began the good work in you and it's God who will bring it to completion. And so genuine spiritual progress is rooted in what God has done, what God is doing, and what God will do. His faithfulness ensures that he will be with believers until Jesus returns. And we can have confidence that the God who saved us will never let us go and that as we pursue him, as we stick close to him, as we abide in him, that we will inherit our eternal reward. And then, with this, the important thing to remember is that the Christian life is so often very slow. It can sometimes feel like we're going backwards. And so often when we feel like we're going backwards, we think, oh, I must be doing it wrong and we just drift I'll step away. I'll step, I, It's not working for me. I, You guys, I'm really pleased for you. Off you go, off you go, off you go, off you go. Off you go. And before you know it, you're falling off. Well, you're falling off the end. Here's the thing. We know progress in the Christian life is not linear. All right, we know it doesn't start here and end there, like with a straight line of everything just going perfectly. But it doesn't do this either. So many think people think it goes up and down, but it's still kind of just going forward, it's fine. Problem with thinking like that is is we think... So often, we get to a place where we're like in our 30s, and we thought, I thought I'd dealt with all these issues in my 20s. Or in our 40s, and we thought, I thought I'd dealt with all these issues in my 30s. Or we get to our 50s, and we think, I thought I'd dealt with all these issues in my 40s. Or our 60s, I thought I'd dealt with all these, etc. etc. And we then falsely, because we think, well, I th- I must be going backwards then. Here's a better picture. It starts here, and it ends there, and it goes round and round like that continuing upwards motion, but sometimes it feels like we're going back. We're not. We're growing and we're still going forward, just learning how to deal with some of the same old issues in a new phase of life. And how do we do that? One step at a time, one step at a time, one step at a time, cultivating habits that will help shape us and grow us. We're on a path, not a pavement. And we're saints on a journey with other saints, partners in the gospel, helping one another grow with all affection, in thanksgiving and in joy, in purity and blamelessness, filled with the fruit of righteousness. This is the mature Christian life, doing life deeply with others who are not like you, striving for holiness and choosing joy and love and generosity and thanksgiving. So here's the question as I end. Where do you need to take a next step? Because the Christian life's not a hop, skip and a jump, it's a step one bit at a time. And sometimes it feels that you may take many steps really quite quickly. And other times it feels like you're just doing little tippy-toe. I'm barely even moving. I'm barely even moving. You know that kind of bit. But I'm still moving by the grace of God. Where do you need to take a step? Where do you need to make a move to grow maturity? Is it taking a first step into community? Is it taking a next step into deeper community, like real community, like fellowship, something much deeper for some of us, the step, if you're married, your first partner in the gospel is your spouse. It might actually be a step to the marriage course. You can sign up today. Actually, I've got to fundamentally make sure this is healthy so I can move further on. You can sign up. Where's your next step? What ongoing steps you need to make? Keep cultivating. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. What truth do you need to remind yourself of to keep going? Keep going. Here's the one big truth. Your identity is now rooted firmly in Jesus Christ and he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for this really encouraging letter. I thank you for its wonderful truth. I can't wait to look at it over these next few weeks as we explore more fully some of the wonderful things, wonderful promises of God, what this Christian life really does look like. God, today, would you just help us get this foundational kind of thing rooted in us, that we are saints, holy and blameless before the Lord, adopted in Christ. Thank you for that. May we grow now in that and deeper into it and further into it, taking step after step after step. Lord, for each of us right now, whatever the next step is, with Holy Spirit, would you just help us? Because sometimes it's tough and sometimes it's difficult and sometimes it feels monotonous and sometimes it feels like I'm doing the same thing and the same thing and the same thing. I'm not getting anywhere. Lord, as, we, as we're feeding ourselves on your word, as we're opening ourselves to your spirit, as we're reminding ourselves of the truth of the gospel, it's all for one thing, your glory and our good and it's all for growing us. Jesus, right now, help us to be a people who pursue you with everything we have. Would you grow us, mature us, deepen us, strengthen us, widen us, lengthen us for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name, amen.